You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Well, hello again. Just here about a month ago, and I did uh, part two of a particular uh, sermon. And so today, I mean, part one, so today is part two of that sermon, or dealing with the idea of call to service, and in that, uh, meaning that we're called to greatness. There is something in all of us that I stated last month that wants and desires this, this, this idea of being great, whether it's being great, being great at, at being a father, or to being great at being uh, a student, or a mother, or a wife, a husband, a, a child, uh, in the workforce, a student. There's this innate desire in all of us uh, to want to be great. And I conveyed on last time that I preached that God does not desire to quench that idea of us desiring to be great. He wants that for us. Uh, even we uh, saw in a story in 2 Samuel chapter 7 how God pronounced to David, who was then king, that he would make his name great, that, that is David. But David was quick to say, no, yeah, yeah, you're going to make me great, but know this, and you making me great, I'm going to magnify your name forever. And even while David was, while God pronounced this, uh, uh, this idea of making David great, David still realized that he was still called to be a servant. That, that, that David did not get his kingship messed up with the idea that he was still a servant of God. So when it comes to, to this idea of wanting to be great, man, uh, 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 in the world's eye and in God's eye, there's, they, they, are, they are distinct, totally distinct in uh, paths and, and motives. Uh, it was uh, uh, Mahaney in his book, Humility, says this about the idea of pursuing greatness the world's way. As sinfully and culturally defined, Pursuing greatness looks like this. Individuals motivated by self-interest, self-indulgence, and a false sense of self-sufficiency, pursuing selfish desires for the purpose of self-glorification. When it comes to the world and how they pursue greatness, it's all about them. It's about themselves and no one else. But I did define for you on last week uh, this idea of what it takes uh, or, 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 or how God defines uh, service. It should be on a screen just as a reminder that service, I, I define, is a selfless act empowered by the Spirit of God that brings glory to God and good for his people. His people meaning his creation that when it comes to this idea of service or serving, that we are to call, call upon God to help us to be selfless, that we might bring glory to him 
and good to his creation by serving. And we're going to get to the point where it's God, he's going to equate greatness with serving. But if, but if you're trying to be great in his kingdom, if you're trying to be great in his eyes, he's going to say you're going to need to realize that you are a servant being called, you are a slave being called to serve. And so his boys, the 12, they just can't, they just can't get this. So I'm going to jump into Mark chapter 10, but in Mark chapter 9, Christ has just had this convo with them. Man, we just talked about this. And in the next chapter, we have to address it again because they just cannot get it. They want to be great. And in chapter 9, he pointed them to having a faith as, as a child. And now in this chapter, He's going to point them to something, man, that, man, that, 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 that in our culture is looked down on. But the kingdom of God embraces this idea of service, this idea of serving. So let me read for you Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 35 and 36. And what we're going to see in this, in this pericope of, of text that, that Jesus is, is trying to redefine what greatness is. Well, he will redefine what greatness is. Look at verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and, and said to him, Teacher, hey, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We've been traveling for a while. And we've seen you do stuff, man, that no other man has seen before or has done before. And so we have a request of you, Jesus. Do for us whatever you ask. Now, I submit to you, that's not a bad thing. They got it right to. I mean, if I'm walking with Jesus and he's not, and I've seen this guy raise up the dead, give sight to the blind, Cause the mute to, uh, to speak, I'm gonna ask them some great stuff too. And I think that's that. And if you're wanting, wanting to be great, I think that man, our request of a great God are too small. Now, we've all seen God work, but we still make these small, itty bitty requests of a great God who owns and can do all things. I wonder in your private time with God, what are your, what are your requests? Are you asking God for big things? No, be, rest assured that if they're out of whack, he's going to give you what you need first before granting you what you want. We'll see this today in the text. So you, so you get here and there and they Ask this question, man, do for me whatever you, uh, 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 Christ says, what do you want me to do for you? And, and look, then look at verse 37. Now, they had it right for verses 35 and 36. Somewhere between verses 37, I mean, 36 and 37, something went wrong. That quick, y'all, just one verse. In between verses, 
It says, and they said to him, grant us to sit at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, I'm like, what gives them the audacity to make such a request to God or in or Jesus? Well, I have three ideas. Let me submit them to you. There's a case, if you research this well, that in Matthew chapter 20, it really wasn't them asking. It was this woman asking, who was the mother of James and John. Further research would tell you that the woman who asked Jesus was actually the, the, was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So if this woman is the sister of the, uh, of the mother of Jesus and James and John is this, are these woman's children, that makes them kinfolk. They're cousins. Oh, nepotism. Hey, because we kinfolk, blood related, I'm going to make of you this special request. Some would say that because of nepotism, they was able to make this bold and brash request. Well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that, you no, know, out of the 12 disciples that Christ had chosen, you know, three of them was his boy boys. You know, they all were his boys, but there was three of them, they were boy boys. So he hung with the 12, but he revealed certain things to the three. They were a part of the inner circle. Maybe that's why James and John was able to, to make this bold and brash request. Or... Maybe it was because of the, the chapter previous where Jesus allowed James, John, and Peter to get a glimpse in the transfiguration of his divine glory. And what they, and they saw, they saw, you remember Peter said, should we make an attempt for all three? Peter, no. See, Peter wanted, wanted to make a tent. James and John wanted to see. Hey, we saw Moses and Elijah up there. Jesus, remember, we blood. I think we'll do better on your side than them. Maybe they thought that. Whatever the issue was, can we all say it, their motives for asking for the seat was selfish? There was nothing in this about God being good. For, it was all about them boys sending their mama to do man business. So, what Jesus has to do in this, he needs to redefine, he, he needs to redefine how they see this. And so what he's going to do, rather than grant them the seat, he's going to grant them suffering. He's going to refine the motives of why they are wanting these seats. Look with me at uh, 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 verses 38 through 40. It says that Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, like fools, we're able, man. Sure we are. Come on. We boys. We can do this, Jesus. Okay. And Jesus said to them, hey, <laughs> the cup that, that I drink, drink you, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant. But it is for those it has been prepared for. You see in verse Matthew 20 and 28, it was the Father who had prepared where to sit, who's going to, or it, it was the Father who had prepared who was going to sit where and not even Christ himself. He said, man, that's not on me. That's on my father. But you make a request. But, in all, but, but, but instead of me giving you the seat that you desire, I'm going to give you suffering that you need. When you see the idea of the cup, or the baptism, and you, and you research these phrases or these terms, and when you go back to the Old Testament, most times, and not all times, they, the idea here is suffering. It's the, the idea is that, man, there's going to be some suffering going on. And so, and we all know that Christ, he suffers at the cross. And so he said this to me, I can't give you the seat, but I'm going to grant you suffering. And for those of us, fast forward some 2,000 years uh, 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 forward, let me tell you what Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted, same word where they said grant me the seat, the same word. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Saints, stone Gideons, is that a word? God says that with your salvation and your belief in Christ, I'm also going to grant and give you suffering. Because God knows but in order, even with the disciples, to change their motives, he has to have them to suffer. Suffering has a way of changing our hearts because it changes, uh, uh, of changing our motives because it changes our hearts. But nobody I know in this place likes suffering, but God is saying suffering is a gift for me to you. And, I, and I'm just wondering how many of us or when was the last time you thanked God for suffering that caused you to get on your knees, that caused you to pray, that caused you to read God's word, that called you to utter these words, God, I need. See, most times, apart from suffering, we don't get there. 
But Christ knows that, that, that in order for you to, uh, in order for me to get your motives, that I, and the only one that can change that is me, I'm going to need you to call on me, so I'm going to grant you, grace you with suffering. When was the last time you said, praise God for suffering? If you don't, you need to. Because the one thing I know that's that suffering does for all of the children is grow a deeper dependence on him. But suffering also is not primarily about you. Look at first, look at Second Corinthians. Uh, it should be on the screen also. Second uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter one, verse three through six. Now understand the idea of cup. And baptism, all they, they all equate to the idea of suffering. So listen to what it says here in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we are, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort in salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings you suffer. God says, here it is. I cause suffering and or afflictions in your life that I, God the Father, will come alongside you and encourage you and strengthen you because I'm going to send somebody else who's went through the same thing that you are going through so that you can comfort them just the same way I comforted you. See, suffering was never meant to stop at you. It, it, it was to go through you to help comfort someone else the same way God has comforted you. Suffering, in a sense, brings God closer to you. And many saints, we run from it. But if you run from the God of all comfort, how will you know he's a God that could comfort? So, y'all know the story. Uh, came, came to Stonegate, dysfunctional. I would say, at best, my family, dysfunctional. Thought we was healthy, you know, I thought we was all good to go to plant, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, got around some solid men who love God. Say, you are a bit far from being functional. You, my brother, have, have some issues. And so we need to work those things out. And so, two and a half years, you know, trying to get a bit of debt and trying to get our marriage the way that it should be, where God can be glorified and it, is a, and, it, and it can be a great picture of the salvation that he has with all of us. And so two and a half years later, man, back in the know, God had, he did a great work. And what I began to notice that God starts sending, starts sending people with messed up finances 
and messed up marriages. Why? So, because the same way I comforted you in your suffering and dysfunction, I want you to comfort them the same way. Your suffering and his comfort was never just for you. It was for you to pass on to someone else who would need the exact same comfort with which he has comforted you with. Suffering, suffering has always been a means to be a blessing, not only to ourselves, but to other people. Can I ask a question? When was the last time you shared God's comfort with someone who has went through, it is, or maybe is going through the same thing that you're going through. When it comes to suffering, you are not supposed to be a cul-de-sac. You ought to be a conduit. I'm going to cause you to suffer, God. I'm going to come along, son or daughter, and carry with you. I'm going to strengthen you and carry with you, give you wisdom, give you insight. I'm going to bring someone else. Who's, who's went through something similar, I want you now to give to them what I've given to you. That's the blessing of suffering. Stop complaining about it. Because at the end of the day, what God gets the glory is in the midst of your suffering, you conforming into the image of his son. And God knows Without suffering, that doesn't happen. He said, James and John, and y'all ten who became indignant at their request, I got to work on y'all motives. So I'm going to take y'all through suffering. Not just for you, but for others. That leads me to my second point. This idea of God having, that, that in order to redefine what greatness is for us, we've got to realize that there is no greatness apart from suffering. But also there is no greatness apart from serving. He's going to now redirect their attention through suffering. Verses 41 through 44. And when the ten heard it, God, they were hot. They began to be indignant at James. And just, not because, now, they wasn't mad because, they, listen, they was, they was purely mad because James and John asked first. Because they all wanted to be great, but they beat them to it again. Hey, man, how you beating us, man? We boys. Let's all go together now, man. They got hot because, because, hold on, hold on, hold on. If we understand correctly, it was, it was James and John's mama that asked them. His, his aunt, the ass of the boys, and yet the ten are still indignant over their request, or that they beat them first. Continue. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever 
will be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is saying there's, there, there are like two kingdoms that we're going to operate in in this text. Or, or two ways of, uh, of being great. You can lord it or you can dominate people or you can love them. You can exercise authority over them or you can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are two, you can, you can be in this thing to get or you can be in this thing to give. There are two worlds when it comes to greatness and you have to choose which side or which world you want to pursue greatness in. And Christ is saying, listen to me, here is the great paradox of the kingdom of God. Instead of being lords with a small L, the great ones in the kingdom are slaves. This word slave, doulos, is used some 124 times in the Bible. In the original language, 124 times. When this, when this word is transferred over to, the, to any English translation, it's used less than five times in most translations. Some scholars suggest because it is not politically correct to have the term slave in there. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Listen to what my friend and mentor that lives in California named John MacArthur has to say about this. In his book entitled Slave, Jesus routinely evoked the figure of the slave in his teachings. For modern, for modern commentators, slaves and slavery were often being, uh, had, had often been first and foremost metaphorical. For Jesus, slaves and slavery were part of the fabric of everyday life. Jesus relied on the figure of the slave in his, in his discourse, not because the trope of slavery was part of his philosophical or, or, or rhetorical inheritance, but because slaves were ubiquitous in the world in which he lived. They were common. Slavery then was everywhere under, under the Greco-Roman Empire. He says, the slave had in principle no rights, no legal status whatsoever. He was a chattel owned by his master. As a result, a slave could be owned and dealt with like any other piece of property. He was completely at the mercy of his owner. Without a right, then it says, for their part, slaves had only one primary objective, to please the master in everything through their loyal obedience to him. Like all slaves in the ancient world, their sense of belonging, uh, uh, I'm sorry, their, their lives were characterized by the ideas of total dependence, the fortitude of, of autonomy, and the sense of belonging wholly to one another. This is the ideal. Jesus, he, he's using this word, this, this word for a reason. 
there are five words that you can pick from, the, from to get the idea of serving, but he uses this term doulos because he's trying to drop in the idea of being a slave. Many would say that there, that there is some overlap between servant and, and slave, but for the most part, servants were hired, slaves were owned. Servants had an element of freedom in choosing whom they were to work for and what they were to do. The idea of servanthood maintained some level of self-autonomy and personal rights. Slaves, on the other hand, had no freedom, had no autonomy, and had no rights. And Jesus is saying, that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a slave of all in the earth I, I created. Now, maybe you're saying, slavery, does Christ understand well? He was a Jew. He understood the word choice quite well. The Jews were in bondage over and over. They were always in, in captivity because of disobedience. So he, he knew even it was even prophesied to Abraham in Genesis 15, they would be in slavery for 460 years. He understood the term in great detail, and yet he still chose to use this term. Why? Maybe you're asking. Because he's trying not only to drive the idea of slavery into his disciples, but also to us. The gospel is not a call to be Christ's associate, but it is a mandate to become a slave. And nobody wants to hear that today because nobody wants to be a slave. Maybe it's for, maybe it's for political reasons, but, but, but primarily, we want autonomy, we want freedom, and we want our rights. But Romans 10, 9 says that if, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, that is master. And believe it or not, that God has raised them from the dead, you shall be saved. At the moment of salvation, you gave up your rights, your privileges, your autonomy, and your, in your possessions to Jesus. And, and here's my friend. Now, it's not true for all people. Now, I'm, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm not saying. We should not, no, that we should embrace the, the name child of God. This, it's true. It's biblical. But in that name, I've learned there's a hint of entitlement. That since I'm God's child, he owes me this. But if you just, 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 just on the flip side of the coin, put, I'm a slave, and he owes me nothing, that changes how we deal with life. 
and what we do and what we say and what we're going on and what we spend and what, how we use his things for his glory and for the good of others. Now, Paul, I think, got this. He, 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 he got this. He nailed it. Now, Paul is not like all of us, yet Paul had the same spirit of God that we all have. Paul just was, he was just a different cat. He was just a different person. Look what Paul says here in 1 in Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. It should be on the screen for you. For though I am free from all, listen, I don't owe anybody anything. I'm free from all of y'all. He would say, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people by all means that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. What is Paul saying? Primarily, I'm a slave of Christ. But whoever he puts me in the path of, No matter, no matter the, the creed, the color, the class, the condition of a person, if God, being my master, tells me to minister to them because I'm his slave, I don't have a choice. That God, listen to me, even though I want to say that, man, I, I got to watch this football game tonight, I got to go to, I, I got to go do this, I got to go do this. God is sending to me. When it comes to the idea of you being a slave, your time is my time. Your things are my things. You, you don't have any rights anymore. And Paul, he held fast to this name. Paul, he embraced the idea of being called a slave or a bond servant of God. And you don't hear many Christians going around bragging about this. But Paul, he bragged about being a slave. Listen, listen, I don't, God does not care if you own all the Walmarts, if you own your own business, if you're a steward or a janitor. Whenever you show up anywhere, your first duty is to serve him and minister to their needs. You're a slave. No matter your, your position, your income, the car you drive, the house you live in, you are first called to be a slave. That's his car, his house, his job, his money, and we are to do with it whatever he says to do with it because we are his slaves. And nobody wants to do that. If we struggle with this today. 
because we have autonomy. We have rights. We have, we have the audacity to tell a God we have privilege when he laid down his privilege while on earth. Nobody wants to embrace this, but you're called to this. When you believe in Christ as your Savior, at the same time, you become his slave and you become, and he becomes your Lord. You can't have Savior and not the Lord. Deal with my sins, but not all of me. No, it's a both-end package. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. One day, when we stand before him, after having done all that we can do, we hope, and even now at times, hear this phrase, well done, good and faithful. The text says servant. The word is really slave. Well done, my good and faithful slave. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I will make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy and presence, watch this, of your master. I'm still your master. And you're still my slave. It happens to be we serve the most, we serve a gentle, merciful, gracious. Good, humble, and meek Lord, who's always in it for our good and his glory. What's your hang-up, if you have one, of being called and embracing the title a slave of God? A slave that whatever he wants me to do with whoever he wants me to do it with, however he wants me to give, or, how, or, or who to give it to, it's yours, God. I'm your slave. And you are my master. And who I have, and who I am, and what I have is at your disposal. And the only way to get his disciples to see that is that he had to use the word slave. So he's trying to be defined. He's trying to be defined. The ideal greatness. There's no greatness apart from suffering. There's no greatness apart from being a slave. Make the connection. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to first primarily be a slave to God and a slave to all. After hearing this, Jesus is going to say, hey, now listen. Can you hear that? You, you serve the Lord, you, you should love. 
not exercise authority, but submit to authority, and then submit to one another out of the fear and reverence of me. So I'm, I'm going to deal with you in that way, but, but, but in case you didn't get it, let me give you my purpose in coming. Verse 45. Jesus is a, he, he's about to show them that he is greatness personified. He is greatness realized. In verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve. Now, there's this idea that we can serve God. Now, we gotta say, now, what do we mean by when we say that? Because I think that we've been misguided. Because, Christ, because when the idea of ministering and serving, I'm trying to minister and serve somebody who has a need. God has no need. So how can I serve him? He came not to be served. But he came to serve. Listen, you, you, you can't save me by, by adding anything when I, when, when I have it all. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. They who dwell there. I gave you the stuff you're trying to give to me. When we talk about serving God, here's what, here's what, I, here's what I, I want to share. And what I have come to realize it, it means. When it comes to serving God, it's more so about receiving from God to serve than trying to give to God because, I, because I'm serving him. So when it says that I'm, I'm, I'm serving God, I'm saying to God, I'm, I'm in a position to receive. Whatever you need to give me to serve your creation well. I'm not trying to add value to you. I'm not trying to add anything to you for you own it all and you have all. But, what I, but God, what I want to do is to receive the strength, according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, I want to receive the strength that I'm able to serve those well you put in my path. When it comes to greatness, when it comes to serving, it's more so about giving than it is receiving outside of God. And I think that a lot of saints... Not the saints at Stonegate, somewhere else. They show up on the scene wanting to serve, but at at the same time wanting to be served. And God says, that's not the equation for, for greatness. You serve because you've been served. I've given you grace, my spirit, and my wisdom to serve, to serve well those I've placed in your life. Maybe you ask, well, 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 okay, I understand that. That that, that Christ said he came to be served and not to be served. But also he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to start embracing the term slave. Because I've come to realize I'm a high-priced Slave. That money can't buy this. That money didn't buy you. That when it comes to you being a slave to God, the Bible says you were bought with a price. First Peter 1 19 says that price was the blood of Christ. 
You are priceless. So when it comes to now, now, y'all, now please pray for me in this feet. So now when sin or temptation comes at my door, I got a, a little phrase I want to tell, sin and temptation. Hey, sin, temptation, I cost too much. I cost too much. See, see when you understand your value, man, when you understand what God did for you, what he gave for you, man, understand that you are priceless. You're priceless. He gave a son for you. His blood was, was without spot or blemish. He was perfect. And God has sent it to me. In order for me to buy him out of the sin market and to get him over into my kingdom, I'm going to send my son there, who is God, to die for him that I may have him. That's love. He loves you so much. He paid the price for you. You're priceless. And we're going around here selling ourselves for cheap. You're priceless. His blood was shed for you. You cost too much to dab and dabble in sin. Just remind yourself. I was bought with a price, so I'm, I'm going to glorify God in this body because my Savior, he paid, he, he, he spilled his blood, he shed his blood that I may come to know him and he know me, that I may now have freedom from sin to now be a slave now to what? Righteousness, that I can now live for him because of what he's done for me in Christ Jesus. You're priceless. I don't care what mom and daddy didn't say or said. I don't care what the teacher said or didn't say. I don't care what the coach said or didn't say. I don't care what your boss said or didn't say. You are priceless. Live like it. You just happen to be a priceless slave. And that's okay with me. One guy happens to say about the idea of being ransomed. The human blood of the, of the eternal, sinless, and perfect son offered willingly and with joy was the ransom paid to God the Father for our eternal redemption from the curse of the Lord and from the wrath of God and from the claims of Satan and from the power of sin. This one I offering. Single and complete, when put in the balance over against the transgressions of many, proved sufficient to atone for all. We never, as slaves and as children of God, have to worry about God not allowing us to call him daddy. Here's the weird thing about this. I'm his slave, but I can call him daddy. I'm his slave, but I can call him also father. 
I'm his slave, but I, but I, I, I can also call him Abba. These are enduring terms. And see, son, you, you got this word, you, you got this blessed dichotomy going on. You're both my child and my slave. And I'm good with that. Are you? The clove, listen to Eugene Peterson out of the Message Bible. Uh, say to you uh, some words and truths that I pray will, that will free you for being okay with being called a slave. He says, think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he being Christ, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Think about that. The God who existed before time who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, last and first and the last, who put the stars into the movement, who put the sun on the day ship and the moon on the night, the one who, who raised up dead from life, the one who caused red seas to part, the one who, who brought death to life, and the one who gave sight to black. This same God, took on the form of a slave. And for the sad part, many of us have an issue with it. But he did not. And became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond any or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago uh, dead and buried, will bow and worship before Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he, here it is, is the what? Master. Slave, master. They will call out, you are master of all, to the glorious honor of God the Father.
if you desire to be great. Christ is redefining for all of us what greatness is. There's a path called suffering that we all must go down. Because all of us have mixed we have mixed motives and emotions when it comes to this idea of being great. But not only do we have to, to he has to refine us or to purify us through suffering, but he also has to redirect that greatness is never meant to be about you. It's meant to be about him and others. But you must become a slave. And if you have any issues with that, he says, for even he, the son of man, did not come to be served but to continue to serve. He's even serving us today. But he then also gave his life up as a ransom for many. Father, we thank you that you are gracious and that you Desire and our desire to be great for us to have pure motives. And you know that we know that's a struggle. Because at times, and that been most times when I want greatness, it's all about me and little about you. So you've granted me suffering to help deal with my mixed motives more time bad than good. And Father, I hope I can say with all of us, thank you. Thank you that you don't let our motives get too far out of bounds before you call suffering to purify our motives, to bring us to a point where we need you. We call upon you. And God, we thank you for the idea and the reality of this idea of being a slave. Paul makes much of this idea. You became a slave. God, will you please help us? Help us to deal with this self-proclaimed autonomy the self-proclaimed freedom, the self-proclaimed privilege. Help us to die to these things. If you are not Lord of all, one has said you are not Lord at all. But we come so very grateful that Christ, he obeyed you perfectly to the point of death that when we find ourselves falling short like we often do, we can look to the cross and say there's one who's done what I'm struggling with doing, living in total submission, living a life of a slave to God the Father that he might be pleased with me. 
help us to see the idea and the reality of slave being a good thing when it comes to being your slave. Help us to die. My heart, our heart is yours. Our life is yours. My family is yours. My job is yours. My schooling is, is yours. My marriage is yours. God, me being single, it's, it's, I'm yours, God. Whatever you see fit to do in my life, we lay it down before you. Will you please make much of yourself through these wretched and marred individuals, God? We submit. We embrace the reality of being your slave. Father, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.